Welcome to the Learning Shared Podcast. So Learning Shared is a space for anyone with an interest in supporting the needs of vulnerable learners in our society, including those with special educational needs and disabilities. We'll be hearing from and talking with a wide range of colleagues and stakeholders, including teachers, specialist practitioners, school leaders, researchers, as well as parents and carers. They'll be sharing creative, inspiring ideas, effective practice and things they've learned along their journey. With that in mind, please get in touch if you'd like to suggest a topic for a future episode or if you'd like to be involved in any way. You can visit us at www.learningshared.org or tweet us at underscore learning shared. The Learning Shared podcast is brought to you by Evidence for Learning and the EFL Send community. This is a growing community of teachers, practitioners, school leaders, researchers and academics that support children, young people and adults with special educational needs and disabilities, or indeed any form of additional learning needs. You can find out more about the EFL Send community and Evidence for Learning at www.evidenceforlearning.net. I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome back to the second part of this podcast in the Learning Shared series from Evidence for Learning. We are discussing engagement and we're following and building on the original podcast recorded by Bev Kobel and myself on everything you need to know about engagement. We have with us today six fantastic practitioners from all sectors in education who are now going to share with us some of their thinking in response to a question we posed to them prior to this recording, which is asking them to share a current or a recent innovation around engagement in the school, the setting or the organisation they find themselves working for and with. And I'm going to invite our first contribution from Ali Erskine, the head of school at Whitfield Aspen in Dover, Kent. Ali. Thank you, Barry. Um, About two years ago, actually, we uh, were using the um, initial kind of research engagement model with our children with the most complex learning needs. And there was a real buzz within our school about the um, conversations that were coming from that. The teaching assistants were really um, enthused about being involved. Um, and it was it was really great. And the joy about our school is that it is a fully inclusive school for children with profound complex needs, and they are learning alongside children, mainstream children. And of course, um, anybody who works in a school knows that one little whisper can move around the school at a rapid rate. Um, And we were having a a mainstream progress meeting, the joy of those, and uh, with with a year three teacher who was really tearing her hair out at a group of um, six children in her year three class who she felt were just not doing what perhaps what they ought to be doing. And uh, she was frustrated and she was at a bit of a loss. Um, She had tried precision teaching within an inch of those poor children's lives and had found that it made absolutely no difference to their progress at all. 
Um, and so she was open to suggestions, which was great. And um, I suggested that perhaps she should talk to the teacher of the children with the most complex needs in the school um, about engagement. And as a result of that, actually, um, something really, truly exciting happened and that has set the tone of engagements um, throughout the whole of the school. So it was kind of the starting point for us. So she did actually go and speak to the uh, teacher of the group with the most complex needs. And um, as a result of that, she was able to, we were able to put in an additional teacher for one morning a week. That is actually financially what it cost us. Um, and this teacher took this group of children out into the forest school that we were lucky enough to have. It's not, you know, amazing, but it is a fabulous rough space really um, and uh, the teaching assistant went with her and they were armed with the evidence for learning app as a way of recording everything that they were doing and um, she started off but the very first thing she did was she started off by um, in asking the children to play hide and seek and in that she learnt more about engagement than anything else and none of those children had the persistence to count to 20 None of them really initiated looking for each other. Um, none of them were particularly curious about where anybody else was. Um, that actually became our baseline. And as a result, um, she, they, uh, she created some really exciting opportunities for the children that involved, you know, cooking over an open fire and whatever. But hide and seek became a bit of an indicator about where those children were. And by the um, July, actually, they were counting in twos and in fives and backwards from 20, 30, 40. And they were spending quite a long time looking for each other, which made a great change, um, actually. <laughs> so um, it, the, the teaching assistant would then follow on the work on a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And um, she was actually in the school and would come and sort of summarise on a Friday. And there was a lot of videoing that went on using the Evidence for Learning app. And the children actually became yes. involved themselves. It was a great tool for recall for those children as, as much as providing us evidence really in uh, what was actually happening. So um, that's where our mainstream engagement story really started with that little group. <laughs> <laughs> that's just the most wonderful example. I can just see everybody going away and universal application of hide and seek. Um, <laughs> Bev, what was your response to Ali's illustration there? Hi, Ali. Nice to Hi. see you. Um, yeah, that that sounds so positive, doesn't it? Um, I just, I'm just wondering. She was able to uh, do the recall with the children and and show all the evidence for them to reflect on their learning. How has she has she disseminated it to the school in any way? Yeah, she did. Well, actually, it was quite what what I sort of didn't go on to say is that on a Tuesday, then they would she would base she planned some literacy activities for the children on a Wednesday, maths activities, all based on remembering what they'd done. So, if they were making mud pies, the Tuesday yeah. they would look at the video on a Tuesday, and then they would create they would write down the ingredients for their mud pies. That that kind of act that kind of thing that was going on. Um, and I have to say, initially, I think the teacher was, you know. A little bit sceptical, possibly. Uh, I hope if she listens to this that she will agree with that. Um, but actually what she noticed initially um, was that the, the children were not doing that constant hands up thing, you know, hands up in the afternoon. And she noticed that as a group, they worked much better together. So it had a really positive impact within the class. Now, of course, as soon as the teacher sees that, they start to talk to colleagues about that. And once again, 
it kind of um, wants to get added to the narrative engagement that is kind of ongoing through our school. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, when school staff see their own uh, pupils, you know, rather than seeing slides of others, that's when they're hooked in. Definitely. So, yes. And she, she works next door to another year three teacher who was like, going, oh, yeah, no, I, I'd like to try some of that as well. So that's if something works, it takes off, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. Thank you. Thank you, Ali. Any other member of our panel got a comment they'd like to, to uh, share? I'll take one more comment. If I may, Barry, um, what I just loved about Ali's um, particular example there was the, the use of physical activity to help really bring engagement to life. Now, clearly, as a, somebody who works for, for a sports physical activity charity, you know, the, the ways that schools can, can bring in and embrace those activities, but using it to teach, you know, wonderful skills, whether that's nu numeracy in terms of how to count, or as you say, just broader engagement, explore, exploration, creativity. You know, I think in, a, in often a pressurised curriculum and school day sometimes our, uh, our practitioners reach out and say how can I kind of you know offer these opportunities and, and really embrace the importance of being physically active which as we know helps with well-being um, you've just highlighted a wonderful example of how you can incorporate that into into daily everyday classroom practice Oh, lovely points. Thank you. <laughs> I could just feel your overexcitement coming through the ether Vicky as Ali was speaking so thank you for that <laughs> Thank you, Ali, very much. I'm going to move on now to uh, our colleague Gemma Aldred from Baxter College in Kidderminster. Gemma, tell us about your innovation. Yeah, so our innovation is very much in its infancy at the moment, although a lot of the back work has been sort of put into play. Um, it's in its infancy because we are going to be using the engagement model as, as a lens and I'm targeting really specific children that have come back um, feeling or showing that vulnerability that we have described earlier the process or is entitled or called engaging the disengaged and we have trained a team of staff to go around school and focus on these children very much with them being at the heart of what we're observing but using the lens of engagement to focus on what what is making them tick what is switching them on how is this happening where is this happening um, the process is going to then formulate an action plan with, and more importantly, I suppose, a learning conversation with the children to really make them at the heart of what they are doing. Um, we want to see what's making them partially engaged and then move into sustained engagement. Um, the children that we've actually selected, although this was quite a difficult process um, because of the colossal um, acknowledgement of how much this pandemic has impacted our kids um, has been quite interesting and we very much um, allowed it to be them at the centre of this and almost to make them feel special for having this intervention plans within the mainstream environment. We want their learning to be sustainable as we've already explained, we don't want them to become the lost learners so it's a strategy to support and build evidence around what they're doing which will turn into action. So the long term intention now that the staff are trained is to go out and do a series of observations, observations on lessons that the pupils cite as being areas that they enjoy, that they feel engaged of, in, that they feel part of. Then at the very back system, we're going to use that to create a plan um, that's going to be shared with staff and then shared into the bigger community. I also feel that there's a, a real avenue there to possibly address areas of curriculum development um, and just sort of really share this research and make it really evident with everyone within the school community. 
Gemma, that's just a wonderful initiative. Um, I, I can't tell you how that warms my heart, knowing that you're speaking from a secondary school perspective. So, um, Bev, what, what was your response there? Hi, Gemma. What I liked there was the learning conversation with pupils. Uh, you know, that, that warms me because it's really empowering the pupils to, you know, learn more about themselves. And, and previously you talked about building their own identity. So that sort of all comes into the plan. And I'm just wondering, are they going to be part of uh, designing their own plan and having a voice there? I think there's definitely a foresight to do that in the future. Um, I think it's very much working to see where this leads us. Um, I think there's a huge opportunity to exploit it and use it to build their own metacognition skills, but also, as I think some more excited, to find their voice in their own learning, to give them a direction of where they're going next and how that contributes to the bigger picture of their classroom, the curriculum and so on and that co-design that collaboration that I know Martin and several others have have, um, mentioned earlier on and if that isn't going to engage them that's that's where we're at we're going to take people forward on a journey together in what we're doing Um, and I think it's going to be very exciting to see the results that are found. And I think that's a lovely yeah, example exactly. of of, yeah. of that quote, you know, where it states about a journey. And that sounds like it's a, a fantastic way forward. Fantastic. Thank yeah. you. One, one other comment from somebody on the panel? Martin, your work was mentioned there, that lens of inquiry. Do you want to pick up on that? Yeah, I think it's really nice that um, as obviously our colleagues in secondary mainstream obviously are able to use the lens um, and that it's not just bespoke for special schools um, that actually it can be used across case studies across all schools and all networks um, and it goes well beyond the age of school um, and well beyond the boundaries of actually school days um, and I think which you touched on also collaboration I think it's so key um, going forward that we all collaborate into how this kid engages and how they actually bring their journey forward. Yeah, it's really interesting writing the descriptors and making them sort of secondary five for want of a better way of describing that. Um, just looking at sort of that emotional sort of front that is quite commonly seen that creates a barrier to learning, but then breaking that down to how that translates into the, the classroom and sort of our principles of learning and so on. Um, yeah, so I'm really looking forward to see how it rolls out. And I think it's going to be a massive support to, again, build something positive out of something that might not be there. I think we'll all be interested to see how it rolls out as well, Gemma. And uh, it truly is. And, and you're looking at experienced leaders like Vegeta. This is groundbreaking work that we have wanted to see in our mainstream colleagues. And uh, so congratulations on the initiatives you're, you're taking. Um, that leads me over to you, Vegeta, to share with us your innovation. Right. So uh, Swiss Cottage, we're an all through special school. So 260 pupils aged two to 19 and with the complex needs designation. Um, So sitting in the backdrop of it is um, work that we've done to embed a professional learning community so that we can authentically live our um, culture, which is a learning culture as a school and organization. Um, This includes weekly protected time for teachers and teaching assistants so that they can engage in that reflective inquiry um, because time's the greatest currency in schools. Um, The diversity of our pupil profiles very much underpins um, a lot of our approaches for uh, that crude sort of monitoring and evaluation process. And um, our observation process uh, of 
quite a few years ago, moved away from uh, those judgmental grades over to the engagement profiles um, and the engagement ladder. And um, what's been great for us to see at the moment. So in Evidence for Learning, there is a framework that is the um, engagement profiles. So we have teachers and practitioners engaged in this formative assessment cycle that is very much thinking about the progress of learners, but alongside um, the five areas within the engagement profile. Um, and uh, our spring term always involves peer observations. So what's been uh, a sort of active innovation for us at the moment is that because we're returning from lockdown, uh, we've explored it with our teachers. And this peer observation model at the moment is doing a combination of uh, teachers are um, recording their live teaching that would have reflected what they did in the virtual school. They're then in a peer observation conversation as a triad, um, but they're also placing that evidence for learning journal at the heart of it so that they're experiencing that triangulation process. Um, and what's fantastic and quite exciting from it is that um, when we're thinking about the quality assurance of our virtual school um, from last March, the scaffold for that was questions linked to the five areas of the engagement profile. Um, so actually what we've got teachers uh, actively sort of engaged in at the moment themselves is exploring their practice as a group across a pathway, but not only thinking about the pupils engagement, but what this is for their pedagogical approaches, because there's a lot of learning for us to take on board uh, in terms of what we've learned through this uh, lockdown and remote education sort of phase. Um, I think the exciting thing for us is that when we think about uh, quality assurance and how we're uh, trying to reflect the impact of our virtual school, actually a lot of that is shaped by the perspective of the teachers during this phase as well. And then what the parents have fed back in terms of those reflective questions that have scaffolded um, that sort of virtual school offer. So as we're returning from lockdown, actually the most important thing is the reflective inquiry is bridging across the changed mediums. Um, and so it's it's an innovation that actually has had zero cost to it, but probably the greatest impact for us because what we will consider for um, those next steps, we would see it as 100% of our pupils, but also our staff impacted in some way by the pandemic. Some of it is very evident, other elements are very invisible. How are we putting into a place a system that is allowing us to make sure that it's a very personalized understanding and reflection of what that journey is because we are such a large school? Thank you, Jita. Goodness, Bev, what, what's your thoughts there? There's so much in that. Yes, there is. Um, just picking up on the peer observations model, I mean, that's that's a fantastic uh, innovation. I, I, that's something I'd like to take back to, to my school. Um, how, how did teachers uh, feel about uh, recording their own lessons? And do families get to see some of that? You mentioned parents at one point. It's been really interesting because teachers have said, actually, uh, 
what's happened during virtual school is they've got an audience in the classroom. Uh, the parents are sitting there, they're trying to engage their child in the home environment through the teaching that uh, might be taking place through Zoom or Microsoft Teams or even pre-recorded content. Uh, so what's interesting is actually there's a parental perspective coming into this on their observations. They're learning what pedagogical approaches could be. Um, that peer observation side, uh, we've uh, always enjoyed video enhanced reflective practice and actually evidence for learning is fantastic because when we're thinking about uh, that 360 analysis around uh, sort of pupil progress it's often the videos inside of EFL that are short and sharp but allow us to really think about what is that process of engagement and what is the impact from that as well so the peer observation has naturally followed from that as well. I think this it just expands, you know, great collaboration with families, you know, it's the, yeah, fabulous. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, anybody else on the panel got a comment that they'd like to share? Gemma? I think just the value of peer collaboration, um, if we think about it, it's the practice we'd want emulated in our classrooms, but when it becomes part of CPD and becomes inherent in school, as you discussed, it's just got such a power um, and it becomes really exciting to be involved in yes. because it shapes and brings buy-in from all members of the staff community, which is just magical when it works. <laughs> Thank you, Gemma. That's great. Thank you, Vegeta. Um, Thank can you. we move on now then, please, to uh, Vicky, Vicky Wells? What's your innovation, Vicky? Yes, thank you, Barry. Um, and I guess my innovation has been really inspired by a whole range of, of sources and conversation. And that's the concept of sports sanctuaries. And it really stemmed from, from, I guess, my reflection on what is the role sport and physical activity and play? How can that help support our young people recover in terms of an active recovery from COVID-19 and, and the pandemic, but also considering their engagement within the classroom from, from all the, the kind of drawing on the insight we've heard already this morning. Um, it stems very much and draws upon the levers within the original think piece, the recovery curriculum from yourself, Barry and Matthew. And, and it landed at a time when there was also lots of insight that was coming through from from Ofsted reports around mental health erosion in young people the loss of physical stamina for, for children young people the fact that for some young people they have thrived over this period around being able to self-pace self-regulate take breaks when they needed to from their from their virtual learning um, and it also links with Sport England's Active Lives data came out quite recently and it, it really referenced the fact that the lower the child's physical activity levels the more likely they are to feel unhappy, lonely, um, and really perhaps not feeling as confident either. So against all of that, I started to really scope out, well, what could the role be of sport and physical activity in, in this conversation? Um, when we think about the word sanctuary, you know, everyone will have uh, their own definition, their interpretation of what a sanctuary is. And I love to start conversations, particularly with, with whether that be practitioners in schools or even young people around where is your sanctuary and what does the word sanctuary mean to you? The Oxford definition is the word sanctuary is a safe space. So I started to just apply a lens in terms of what well, if we looked at a sports sanctuary for some young people and practitioners as well, indeed. That space might be somewhere where it just instills a sense of calm. So if we think about perhaps um, our, our sensory and nurture room type activities, things that will help calm our young people um, in terms of just 
addressing the balance to be able to just relax and alleviate any worries or concerns before going back into the classroom or activity ready to learn. But it also might be an activity. And we've heard some wonderful examples. Again, as I've mentioned at the start, you know, I had the privilege of working across um, the country around just hearing different ways how schools are using this innovation to best meet the needs of their pupils, their learners um, and their school communities. So actually, when we start talking about the concept of a sports sanctuary, it might actually be an activity that young people can take away and go and do to either calm and, and manage some of those um, emotions, but equally awaken some of our young people. We've had some wonderful examples from the secondary space. I know Gemma's touched on these around for some young people where perhaps they've returned back to their classrooms overwhelmed by all the sensory experiences they're now facing, whether that be the smell of hand sanitizers, the noise of busy classrooms, the um, tape that restricts where they can and can't walk, all of these things can bubble up to a point where for some pupils, they might exhibit then that, that feeling of overwhelmness in quite a negative way. And we've heard lots in terms of behaviour sometimes for, for teachers sharing that kind of, um, you know, how young people have returned back to us. So wouldn't it be wonderful that perhaps in a maths lesson, there's 20 minutes of, of teaching, but then when that young person starts to feel quite overwhelmed, they can almost remove themselves from that situation just for a couple of moments Go and do an activity that might stimulate the proprioceptive or your vestibular senses to help either awaken or calm um, your emotions to then return back to the classroom ready, willing, engaged to learn. And that's where I think this innovation has come from in terms of schools taking this as a way of a physical space or actually an activity that may help calm or awaken their learners. Fantastic, Vicky, and I'm so excited to see how that's going to roll out more and more. There's been lots of people reading your your think piece, uh, and I know it's influencing practice. Bev, what was what was your response to that? Yeah, hi, Vicky. It's um, it's something that we do tend to advise, you know, um, schools to chunk the pupils learning and go out and 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 do something so that's that really resonates with myself um and I, I like the idea of um you know looking at a more sports sort of uh, sanctuary I think that's a fantastic um heading um it what what made me um think back is that Tina Ray has lots of different boxes resource boxes and it's something that maybe I don't know, the sports um, could look at, you know, having a similar resource so that mm. you've got mm. ideas ready. Is that mm. something mm. that you're thinking of preparing or? Yeah, you're absolutely right, Bev, and, and certainly the conversation we've had with Dr. Tina Ray, you know, just some of the wonderful uh, resources that, that, that she has and, and, and schools engage with. I definitely think the more that this is being um, discussed and shared and certainly involving young people in terms of, what does their sports sanctuary look like is certainly something that schools have started to share that would be helpful for either visual aids in terms of some of those communication tools to open up the conversation, as well as providing a whole array of either resources or um, sensory circuits, for example, or guides yeah. or ideas, as well as actual equipment to help stimulate those, those thoughts and experiences for young people. So it's definitely something that I think has started to gain some traction and I think the more schools start to consider and and maybe you know if we ask the question where is that sanctuary where is that sports sanctuary in your school yeah. 
Yeah. If a child came to you as a teacher and asked that, what would you say? And I think any resource that we could help to support practitioners in responding to that is certainly something we will be looking at. Fantastic. Look forward to that rolling, guys. Thank you. And Ali, I know this is something you've been thinking about at Woodfield Aspen. Do you, do you want to share a comment with Vicky? Oh, I, Vicky, I'd love to get a long conversation with you. Um, <laughs> I think I love the um, terminology sports sanctuary. I mean, we kind of um, underpin a lot of those breaks kind of linked to sensory and it kind of almost narrows that thinking right down to children who have sensory needs rather than any child who just needs to move and be and finding a, a place to do that. Um, we've actually asked a, a, a dance team to come into our school and they're working really closely with some of our children who find it the hardest to move actually in the school confidence and they're working with our children with the most complex physical difficulties as well um because yes it it's it, the evidence is there to see when a child is moving and um yeah really really exciting and that could be described as a sanctuary moment almost absolutely yeah. and it is and actually what confidence do is they work um they come in and the idea is to work with those children. Those children all have one-to-one um, -one support for um, fairly obvious reasons. But in fact, they always start by working with the staff because I think they feel that the staff are so tense that if they can relax the staff and they do... So it's, yeah, it's Brilliant. great. <laughs> I've got a new word now, new terminology. <laughs> That's fantastic. Thank you, Ellie. Thank you, Vicky, too. Cheryl, can I invite you to share your innovation with us? Yes, um, thank you, Barry. I think I, I think I started when we first were engaging with the uh, the seven aspects all that time ago, and looking at um, using the aspects in on big pieces of A3 paper and the different circles and different post-it notes and 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 our children sometimes. And we've got those mo those more mobile young people that love a good flapper. Um, we get grabbing it off the <laughs> grabbing it off the walls and losing post-it notes, and I think that. Ours came from that that it was um, it was not only looking at the workload for our for our staff and our teachers and their expertise and agreeing with Vegeta about um, improving that um, the, that knowledge around pedagogy and how our young people learn and learning from each other and that peer the peer support um, but we also when uh, so for me it was all about right this workload and gathering all this evidence has got to be an easier way here. And then when the Ofsted framework came in, the new Ofsted framework came in around looking at the mental health and well-being of our teachers, that work-life balance, it was kind of right. We need something to record this on now. So developing those links with apps and parents and carers and how we can share this uh, wonderful work that's going on with our staff team, um, but also with our parents and, and with Ofsted as well and, and when we get our inspections. So we had a look at all these different apps and and. Thankfully, we came up with the evidence for learning. Um, but the, my innovation around here is that actually, with the removal of the P levels, at the moment, a lot of the P mainstream schools that I'm working with have kind of gone, how do I record these small steps of progress then? <laughs> and for me, it's about sharing those, those good practice of what, what we do in a special setting, a specialist setting, how we um, include that um, understanding around, look, it's not going to be an, a huge amount of workload. Um, we're trying to reduce your workload by recording on a device 
Um, it's going to make sure that you have the correct staffing and your staffing and the knowledge and uh, the pedagogy around learning is really, really shared. That best practice is being shared. And also a lot of colleagues in mainstream school and secondary schools and in all types of settings, they always go, time, I haven't got time. When actually, if you're using a device and they've already got the engagement model on there, the profiles on there, it doesn't matter if how small those steps are, you can still use this and record those smaller steps and, and, and really home in on progress and what they're actually making. And again, reducing that workload, reducing the anxiety levels around yeah. what if I don't get it done. So really, I think that's our innovation and sharing it, our best Absolutely. practice with mainstream. <laughs> Fantastic. Bev, I, I, I'm going to ask you to respond, but I know which panel member I want to, to comment on this. Vegeta, I know this will be resonating with you and I could see you nodding rapidly there. So after Bev's uh, given her response, then Vegeta, I'd love to hear a comment from you, please. Bev. Hi, Charles. Yes, and I was actually going to quote uh, Vegeta <laughs> um, because you've mentioned, Vegeta, that staff, you know, becoming rigid and needing to take ownership of, of what they're actually seeing and so on. And uh, and you've just described that. Uh, are staff now um, a little less anxious? Do they feel that the... Uh, the disappearance, shall we say, of P levels is okay now, you know, because I've also um, uh, witnessed staff, you know, so worried about P levels disappearing and and ownership. Yeah, I think so, Beth, from a, from a specialist point of view, but I think from a mainstream point of view, they're, they're at the beginning or near enough, they're just, they're just starting to understand how to capture those small steps and, and understanding that actually... There's got to be a way that um, that's not going to cost them a fortune, yeah. and it's going to be purposeful and meaningful for both for both their children and their colleagues that they're working with. And I think I refer to what Ali said: we've got to get it right, and we've got to make sure that these children that we're working with, the ch all children that we're working with, that they that sometimes it can appear that they're not making progress, and that can really worry. Um, but. Uh, everybody that's involved with that young person but actually they are making progress it's our job to make sure that that is shown and that is shared I think it's that understanding of the lens that we've talked about you know Definitely. just a different way a different approach that uh, yes. uh, practitioners need to understand yeah we, we, we will get there we will get there, we will get there. We will. Vegeta it's Personally, inspiring to hear what you've done, Cheryl, as well, because I know it's um, that much more complex trying to push for that type of change in the mainstream sector. I think special schools have always had more freedom to bring uh, what they feel needs to go into place. But what resonates for me is hearing what you're describing is just the fact that you've your decision making was based off of I want workload balance. I want to promote the well-being of my staff. If they have that balance, then actually their engagement with their own role is going to be that much more empowered. And you're describing how they're gaining professional agency through a system change, which is fantastic because it can only benefit the pupils uh, because the, the change that's going to be in place in their classrooms uh, is going to have just such an impact. Yeah, fantastic. That's wonderful. That's great. I, I'm so excited about how there's 
uh, connection between each of our speakers in ways we couldn't have planned because you've never ever met before uh, as a group. So whilst you had a common theme around engagement, it's the other levels of practice that are also emerging. Uh, and I, I just am so uh, impressed with the contributions each and every one of you are making, which puts no pressure, of course, on you, Martin McKenna, to bring up the rear, as it were. <laughs> Thank you, Barry, very much. Um, yeah, no, totally, our innovation this year for us really has been um, the capture of evidence outside the classrooms. Um, I'm really talking about what Victoria said, looking and capturing learning through video, using evidence for learning, not just within classrooms, but actually in the community, in the football pitch, in our outdoor learning. We have one example of which we continue to sort of assess within school and, and talk about. We have one pupil who is non-verbal within classrooms, but when you take him in the swimming pool, his verbal um, sort of noises, etc., fully increase. He wants to communicate. And there's such a difference in his um, outgoing sort of appearance um, and his want to engage and this collecting the video and be able to share this with not just parents who've never seen him in a swimming pool, but also his OT, speech and language, etc. We're just enlightening really not only our staff, but the whole family and the community around these pupils to really improve um, engagement. And um, for me, this sort of ability to have to learn to focus on um, and share these resources at a click of a button has just been fundamentally um completely different for, for this school. We, we haven't previously ever used any sort of video and technology, but going forward, um, we've been sort of breaking all the boundaries with regards to filming. Every time we have um, any session, there's an iPad set up. Um, and what has been lovely sort of touching on what Vegeta, et cetera, has said, is we've started using that to upskill staff and actually starting to break down on the back of your own training board when you came and did an inset for us, was to really start to explore what are we seeing in these videos what are staff teams looking for and how do we reflect on the evidence captured and what does engagement look like for this pupil as opposed to this pupil? And we started off, as I say, without the profiles and really just doing case studies and creating a story around the pupils. And from that, we've then drawn it out through the different areas and lenses of the engagement profile. So we've started at the start, just capturing evidence, watching the videos, and then as a team reflecting on and pulling out through the different lenses, what are we seeing? Once staff felt comfortable that they understood the process. And um, so I think that's been really, really revolutionary for, for me as a new head and for this school, um, and really just sharing that good practice. That's fascinating, Martin, because you're co-constructing the learning story there. Bev, what do you think? Um, I, I think uh, from from what you're saying, does does it now allow school leaders within your school to develop, promote that personalised learning approach that's needed, and and focus possibly on designing your own training within schools? So you're already talking about case studies and taking it from there. Do you feel there's more collaboration going on and understanding of personalised learning? Yeah, without well, doubt. Our learning walks this year um, were all focused on engagement. Um, there wasn't anything else. Engagement was our key focus and how to develop my engagement and really working on relationships. I think relationships is key. You know, within everything we do within school, it's all about relationships and feeling comfortable with your class team and sharing them because we, without trial and error, we actually don't know what works and what doesn't. And there's nothing better than sitting down. We do reflection um, at the end of every day, but on a Thursday, we have that long hour reflection and it's lovely to sit down and the videos are filmed. There is some comical moments, but it's, as a group, being able to sit back and go, do you know what? 
before that comical moment, there was an unbelievable piece of engagement where the kid has maybe made that eye contact, maybe said this to another pupil, and that social engagement, etc. So, as I say, that co-construction that we're starting to do and, and starting to bring to the SLT, which we will share, has been fantastic. We're still in the infancy, and as I say, it's my first year as a head, so we are still developing that good practice, and that share of practice. Unfortunately, it's been sort of hampered by COVID, but we're definitely getting there. And one of the things that I would just say was unbelievable practice really for engagement was overusing the app um, and using engagement. We've had some of our teachers over the last term um, during homeschooling, upskilling parents on how to read, how to engage pupils and how to do different processes at, in school, but also replicate at home. And that dialogue between both parents and school about engagement has just been fascinating. Yeah, it sounds like good relationships, both in school and with families. So, uh, fantastic. Yeah, I think that's key. I think that's the biggest key. And as we go back to is just sharing that script yeah. as to what works well here and what works well at home. And Cheryl, I know that training is a big part of your remit as well. Have you got a comment from Martin from that input? Yeah, it's it's definitely huge in the fact that um, what you've just been describing, Martin, is that learning from each other but it's actually not costing you anything. <laughs> and I think, <laughs> from a I think from a Port School's perspective, the best CPD is learning from each other and it's, and it's free. And I think the more that you can do that, the more that you can take, uh, you can take uh, and watch videos and hopefully um, share that experience with each other. And I agree, the comical um, elements of a video are really funny. And we look at us and we go, oh my gosh, what's just happened? But it's those insights and those staff then saying to each other, right, actually, you know, in the transitional year when we uh, can work together and, and, it just, and then next year when you get this student in your class, it's again working on that development of how to work with that child with that particular range of needs. But actually, it's so much more beneficial than sending them off on a course. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you very much, Cheryl, for, the, for those comments. Can I thank all of our contributors to this podcast? Um, I have a quote that I tend to use quite often about engagement, which is that engagement is the liberation of intrinsic motivation. Each one of our speakers today has powerfully illustrated how that is happening for them in their schools, in their organisations and in their settings. But most of all, how it is happening for the children many of whom who've returned to this school system um, from a period away during the pandemic, during the, the multiple lockdowns, as disengaged learners or disenfranchised learners switched off from the curriculum that we normally offer and how you're going through a process of co-constructing a meaningful and responsive curriculum built on the secure building blocks of engagement. And isn't it exciting that from this September, engagement will legitimately, statutorily, be part of our portfolio of assessment practice. But what you've shown us today is that there is a route called learning to walk with each and every one of our child. And that, that journey leads us to the create, creation of a pedagogy that is built on the principles of engagement. This podcast has been brought to you in the Learning Shared series, from Evidence for Learning. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for listening. 
the homepage for the podcast is www.learningshared.org. Barry Carpenter's webpage is www.barrycarpentereducation.com and you can email us at learningshared at theteachcloud.net or tweet us at underscore learningshared. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode and please do get in touch with feedback if you'd like to either suggest a topic for a future episode or if you'd like to be involved in any way. Finally, you're welcome to join the conversation via one of our online communities of practice. We've got groups on Facebook and LinkedIn and details are on the Learning Shared web pages. So for now, thanks again for listening. Stay safe and be well.